Tonight I want to talk on a theme that uh, I have discussed over several television stations and has been mailed out actually by the thousands to viewers in, uh, in the uh, viewing world, I guess you could say. Uh, I always like to have a lesson that has points that uh, I can take hold of. If I can see in a lesson where a person is going, I, I, I can assimilate the information much easier. And so I've always tried to have definite points that a person could grasp hold of and take home with him. And I hope that's the case tonight. Not like uh, one young man spoke one time and a, an elderly man told him, he said, your, your lesson reminded me of the earth before creation. And he said, well, how is that? He said, well, it's without form and void. And so I hope that that will not be the case. Uh, in our lesson tonight, the question was asked after the Apostle Peter had predicted the end of the material universe as we know it. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And based upon that premise, that is, that the Lord will come, the heavens will pass away, the elements melt, the earth shall be uh, burned up with its works. Peter asked this question, what manner of persons ought you to be? That's a serious question. If we knew that tomorrow would be the end of the world as we know it, what kind of life should you have lived today? Of course, I can't say with any degree of assurance that the end of the world will be tomorrow uh, because uh, we don't know that. Peter said it would come as a thief in the night, that it would be unexpected, sudden, with no warning. However, I can't say that it will not come tomorrow either. Therefore, because the day of the Lord could be today or tomorrow, or at any time, Peter's thesis is we ought to be living holy and godly lives. What manner of persons ought we to be? Well, we ought to be new creatures in Christ. Jesus taught it very plainly when he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is, he cannot apprehend it or grasp it. John 3 and verse 3. And the fact that one is to be born again suggests a new creature. It suggests conversion. It suggests change. And yet many people uh, seem to feel that they're good enough as they are. And uh, they expect to be saved without any change or without any conversion. But to be ready for the great day that Peter describes, one must be converted. He must be changed. He must remove his affections from the things of this world and center them upon Christ and his way. Now the disciples that Jesus selected to help him in his ministry were great men. They were some of the greatest who ever lived. But you know, one time they quarreled over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus sat, them, uh, sat a little child down in the midst of them, and he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they had to be changed. 
You see, one cannot please God without conversion, without change. A person who is still in love with sin is not fit for the society of heaven. And I have always submitted that a person who is still in love with sin would be miserable if he were suddenly placed in such holy company as that of heaven. How do I know that? Why sinners are miserable here in this world in the midst of those who are singing, praying, preaching, and praising God, and they're not going to be changed simply because they've moved from one country to another. Peter also said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice Peter said, Repent, that means to be changed, and be baptized so that you can have your sins forgiven or remitted. Again, in Acts 3.19, he said, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, the revision renders that, Repent ye therefore and turn again. Baptism is the turning act by which a person is transferred out of a state of alienation with God into a state of reconciliation with God. A person can't go to heaven with his sins. They must be blotted out, Peter says. They have to be remitted. That is, one must change his purposes or aims and change his state of being. Now, there are many today who feel like they're good enough, and that's a very dangerous ground to occupy because a person who feels like he's good enough is not going to make any effort to change. But if he could only be made to realize that he's lost and in danger of eternal destruction, then he would cry out for salvation. And if so, he should realize that as Peter said, neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. The apostle Peter said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, it makes no difference how morally good a person is. If he's not in Christ, he's not a new creature because he said that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, the Lord has taught us the importance of being in Christ in the example of Cornelius in Acts the 10th chapter. Here was a man that the Bible describes as a devout man, one that feared God, one that gave much alms, a man who prayed always, and also this man had seen an angel. And yet with all of this good record, the angel said to him, send men to Joppa, call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he shall tell thee words whereby thee and thy house shall be saved. Now certainly a person who uh, needs to be saved is lost, isn't he? And so he needed to hear words whereby he could be saved. Now why call for Simon Peter? Well, he was one of the ones who stood over there on the mountain and heard Jesus give the great commission when he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized uh, shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15, and 16, and also Matthew 28 and verse 18. Now Cornelius was a good moral man from the standpoint of works, but he was not in Christ. And the Bible affirms that there is no salvation out of Christ. 
and there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So what happened when Peter arrived? Well, you remember that Cornelius met him at the door. He had his family and his friends all gathered there. And he said, we're uh, here to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And so Peter began to speak. And uh, you remember what happened, how that uh, uh, as he began to speak, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his house. They spake in tongues, which gave Peter evidence of the fact that they had received um, manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says, who can forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now the reason they received the Holy Spirit was to evidence to Peter, who was a devout Jew, and a pretty hard-headed one at that, that they too were candidates for salvation, even though they were Gentiles. And so when Peter saw that evidence, he said, uh, I couldn't withstand God. I can't stand up in the face of God and say they're not worthy because they received the like gift as we did. And so he says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now observe, if you will, that Cornelius' good deeds were not condemned, but he had to enter Christ and do his deeds in order to have the promise of eternal reward. And that's because of the scripture we quoted last night in Colossians 3 and verse 17, which says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We have to do that by the authority of Christ. Now, in order to be uh, very clear about this, I want to illustrate what we're talking about. Let's suppose that... Uh, over here somewhere, and of course the people here in California can understand uh, this illustration, I think. Let's suppose that there are two vineyards side by side. <coughs> We're going to say that these belong to Mr. A and Mr. B. And there's a man who hires out to, uh, to work in this vineyard. And uh, Mr. A says, if you'll go work in my vineyard today, I don't know what the going wage is, but let's say that he says, I'll pay you $50 if you'll work in my vineyard today. And so the man goes over there and begins to work. And uh, as he works, he looks across the road over here to Mr. B's vineyard. And uh, there's some people over there that he recognizes. And they, the workers, call to him and say, come over here, work with us. So he goes across the road and he works all day in Mr. B's vineyard. And then at the end of the day, he comes to Mr. A and he says, I want my reward. I want my wages that I've worked for. And Mr. A says, well, you didn't work in my vineyard. You go over there to the man uh, that you work for. And he goes over to Mr. B and asks for his wages. Mr. B says, I didn't hire you. Go to the man that hired you. And so the poor man goes away without any reward for his labor. That's a pitiful picture, isn't it? But that's the picture of the moral man. He's doing good deeds, it's true. But you know, uh, he's not enrolled in the Lord's vineyard. He's not working for the Lord. And the devil hasn't offered any reward. And so, his is loss. His good deeds go unrewarded. Because the Bible says, What's, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Now, since it's so important to enter Christ and work in his kingdom or in his vineyard, the question tonight must be, how do we get into Christ? 
How do we enter Christ? The Apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, I want to try to tell you tonight how to get into Christ. And I want to try to make it so plain that you can't help but understand how we get into Christ. I'm going to let this circle here represent uh, how we get into Christ. Let's say that this circle represents that fellowship being in Christ, where there is no condemnation, Romans 8 and 1 said. All right, we have to hear the gospel, don't we? Because the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's in Romans, the 10th chapter, and verse 17. Not only must we hear, we have to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Uh, we have to repent or turn away from all known sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We have to confess Christ because Matthew 10 and verse uh, 32 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. And finally, we must be baptized. But now look here. We find uh, uh, over in Romans, the 10th chapter, in verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul said that if thou shalt uh, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Acts 11, I believe it's verse 18 says, Then if God granted also to the Gentiles repentance unto life. So look here. We believe unto righteousness. We repent unto life. We confess unto salvation. But there's a different figure over here when we come to baptism. Because in Galatians, the third chapter, and verse 26, we hear the Apostle Paul saying, uh, Therefore, we're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now how did we get into Christ? We were baptized into Christ. Not into some human denomination. Not into some club or organization. But he says we're baptized into Christ. Now when we're baptized into Christ. Then we have access to all of the spiritual blessings. Because the Bible says that all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians the first chapter and verse 3. Well, led by the Spirit's voice then, recorded in His Word, baptized in water, He's born of water and the Spirit, and He enters Christ. I want to illustrate it just a little more. I don't know, you folks don't have uh, tornadoes very often over here, but we do up in Oklahoma where I live, and uh, sometimes they get pretty close too. Let's suppose that uh, I have a a freighty hole out in my backyard. That's what we call a cellar or a, a, a storm cellar. And uh, it's just four steps from the back door of my house into that cellar. And so I hear on the television, on the radio, that there's a bad storm coming. They've sighted a twister on the ground out southwest of Ardmore, Oklahoma, where I live. And so I said, we better get in the cellar. And so I step outside and I take that first step. I say, boy, we're safe now. Am I safe? No. So I take that second step. Now I'm safe, aren't I? I've taken two steps. No, no. 
There has to be another step. So I take that third step. I'm safe. No, no. You, you get blown away there. there. There won't be a thing left standing of you if you stay there. So I take that fourth step, pull that door down. Now I'm safe because I'm in the cellar. Well, that's sort of the way it is with getting into Christ. We believe unto righteousness. We repent unto life. We confess unto or toward salvation. But then when we're baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, then we get into Christ where there's safety. We read over there then in Romans 8 and 1 where the Apostle Paul says, uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I read also there in 2 Peter 2 and 2 where Peter says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. Now I'm a new creature in Christ. And Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Well, after conversion, of course, you have to be faithful because in Revelation 2 and 10, he said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Peter was told by the Lord Jesus Christ after his denial, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. That ought to be our goal. When we get converted, we're to strengthen each other, strengthen the brethren. Yes, we ought to be new creatures in Christ, but then we ought to be saints, living holy lives. Incidentally, did you know that uh, members of the body of Christ, members of the church, are called upon to be saints? Peter said, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Why, we ought to be living holy lives. We ought to be godly. The world seems to think of a person today who is a saint as someone who's been dead hundreds of years and he's, quote, canonized. And uh, that means that uh, someone who has been uh, designated as a saint by somebody over there in Rome, Italy. But I submit that's not the Bible concept of the word saint. No, a saint is simply one who has been set apart to do God's will. And that's what sanctification means, to be set apart to do God's will. Paul addressed his letter in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Listen now, call to be saints. So we're not just candidates for sainthood. We are saints by virtue of the fact that we're in the body of Christ. What manner of persons ought you to be? We ought to be saints. That is people who are set apart, sanctified, using our bodies, our money, our talents, our efforts for the kingdom of God. Now the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, a lot of people don't know that today that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes further, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, uh, nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuse themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what happens to people who have committed these sins? Listen now carefully. Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you're sanctified, you're justified, you're washed, you're sanctified, 
justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, they had been saved through their obedience to the gospel, and they've been changed, and now they're no longer these kinds of people. They're forgiven. Yes, we ought to be people who shun the works of the flesh. Paul gets specific about what the works of the flesh are. Listen, now the works of the flesh are manifest, made plain, in other words, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Paul didn't name all the sins. But he said anything like that, the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, if you want to be the kind of a person who would please God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible calls upon you to come out from the world and be separate. Over in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, he said, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, and I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. And then in the next chapter, 7 and 1, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, it's clear that while we must live in this world, we're not to be of the world. See, there's a difference in being in the world and of the world. We ought to live holy lives, which is what a saint is, a Christian who lives a holy life. I visited a congregation in uh, South Carolina a few years ago. There was a brother there in this congregation who had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 18 children, and all of them were members of the church. And he got up and spoke that night, and he said, uh, he said, you know, brethren, we're all going to see the Lord when he comes. But he said, unless you live a holy life, you're not going to see God. Because over here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 14, the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Revelation 1 says that when Jesus comes, every eye shall see him, but you won't see God if you don't live a holy life. But then we also ought to be workers in the vineyard of the Lord. Jesus taught a parable in the 20th chapter of Matthew and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now the steward, well evidently the householder went out about six o'clock in the morning and began to hire laborers in his vineyard. And uh, in this vineyard, which was a plantation of vines that was hedged in by walls and ditches and cleared of stones and cultivated, uh, they had grapevines. And uh, so, needing more help, he went back at 9 o'clock. He went back at 12 o'clock at noon. He went back at 3 o'clock, still trying to hire labor into his vineyard. And finally, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, when the sun was way over yonder in the western horizon, the 11th hour, he was trying to hire laborers into his vineyard. 
And in this parable, all who had worked received the same reward at the end of the day. Jesus said that's the way the kingdom of heaven is. That's the way the church is. God wants laborers in his vineyard. He has no need for idlers or loafers. And if you want God, the householder, to reward you, then you must enter his vineyard. And then you have to work till set of sun. That is, until your life is over. And you know, here's the beautiful part to me. This is beautiful part. If you hear that call at the 11th hour, that is the sunset of life. Even if life for you upon this earth is almost over, God calls you to work in his vineyard. And if you'll enter and work, then you'll receive the same reward as the others, which is eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I'm thankful that I can preach a gospel like that. Some years ago, I was preaching on television and a lady called me and said, I wish you would visit my mother who is in a nursing home. She said she, she likes to hear you preach and I think it would do her so much good if you would go see her. So I went over to see her. She was sitting out on the porch in a, in a rocking chair. She looked a beautiful, like a beautiful picture of a, of a godly lady. And so I began to talk to her about the gospel, about the church, about old time gospel preachers and meetings. Finally, this lady spoke up. She said, Brother Elmore, I'm going to be fair with you. She said, I, I've never been baptized. I said, oh my. I said, well, you, you need to do that because she was up in her, in her 80s. And uh, she said, well, I want to. But she said, I've had a, I've had a heart attack. And uh, she said, that has uh, prevented it. And I said, oh, well, we need to take care of that. She said, well, just as soon as I'm able, I want to do that. And I said, well, now listen, as soon as you are able, you give me a call and we'll take care of that. And I figured, you know, probably that would be the end of it because I thought, well, probably she'll never call me again. But one day, not long after that, the telephone rang and her daughter said, could you baptize my mother? Well, I took that dear old soul into the baptistry and baptized her into Christ. And she was so happy that she could obey the gospel. And of course, within a very short time, she was called upon to test the stern realities of eternity. But I'm thankful that I can preach a gospel that offers hope, and Jesus' gospel does offer hope. Now, I want to say one little thing right here. I don't have any evidence that these people rejected that call time and time again, and then at the 11th hour, they came to Jesus. But uh, I would do that, I would obey the gospel if I were in the 11th hour of my life here upon this earth. Are you working for the Lord? Are you zealous of good works as t commanded in Titus 2.14? Are you ready unto every good work, Titus 3 and 1? Are you full of good works, Acts 9 and 36? Are you careful to maintain good works, Titus 3 and 8? Are you fruitful in every good work, Colossians 1 and 10? Are you a pattern of good works, Titus 2 and 7? Do men see your faith by your works, James 2:18? Do men see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Matthew 5, 14? Let's get a little more specific. Do you visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction? James 1, 27. Sometimes people say, oh, I can't stand nursing homes. I can't stand hospitals. 
Well, I don't imagine the people who are there like it either, but the Bible says we're to visit. Do you feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, take in strangers, clothe the naked, visit those who are sick and in prison? Probably for righteousness' sake, as Jesus commands. Matthew 25, 35, and 36. Do you give attendance to reading God's Word? I've often felt that if a person will, will come to every church service, every gospel meeting, read the Bible every day, and pray every day, you know, there's not much else that needs to be done for him because he'll learn what it is to be a Christian. But if you don't do that, I don't know that there's anything that can be done for you. Now, do you study to show yourself approved unto God? Titus, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do you desire the sincere milk of the word? 2 Peter 2 and 2. Do you attend the services of the church? Hebrews 10.25. Do you break bread on the first day of the week? Acts 20 and 7. Do you pray without ceasing? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. You know, we ought to be workers in the vineyard of the Lord because the Bible teaches that at the final day, we're going to be judged out of the books of God according to our works. That's in Revelation 20 and verses 12 and 13. And then we ought to be expectantly looking for Christ's return. In this passage that we read a few minutes ago, he says, what manner of persons ought you to be? Peter says, we are to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That's in 2 Peter 3, verses 11 and 12. Now, the dictionary defines look for as to search for, to expect. So are you expecting Christ? We may know about him, but are you expecting him? The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Are we looking for Jesus, that is, expecting him? We may know all about the second coming of Christ. We may be familiar with the prophecies about his coming. But are we looking for him? Are we expecting Jesus with eager anticipation? Could we say with the Apostle Paul that we love his appearing, 2 Timothy 4 and 8. And over there in the last chapter, in the last book, almost the last verse of the Bible, we hear the Apostle John say, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What manner of persons ought we to be? We ought to be expectant. We ought to be living as though Jesus could come at any moment, for truly he could. Lastly, tonight I want to say we ought to be prepared for death. We ought to be living as though this were the last day of life because it truly may be. The Bible constantly reminds us of the brevity of life. Psalm 103 and 15 says, As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field. So he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And then in Job 14 and 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth as a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And then there's uh, Peter who said, all flesh is as grass and the flower of man uh, 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 and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. 
and uh, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. James said, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Have you ever gotten up early in the morning, you see a little fog out on the, uh, over the horizon, and then as soon as the sun comes up, that fog just vanishes. James said that's the way your life is. And daily observation teaches us that this is true because death and decay are written all around us. Someone said the old will die and the young must die. Soon, very soon, for some who are here this, this evening in this service, this old uh, coil, mortal coil must be shuffled off and the door of death must be entered. And five seconds after death, my friends, it won't matter what kind of a house you've lived in, what kind of clothes you've worn, what kind of a car you drove, what your bank account was, what your educational attainments were. All of that's going to fade into utter insignificance and there's going to be only one thought preeminent in your mind and that is, have I lived in such a way as to perpetuate myself in the memory of God? It's appointed unto men once to die, the Bible says, and after this, the judgment, Hebrews 9 and 27. And oh, you know, we're not going to be judged by what manner of persons we had planned to be or what kind of persons we would like to have been or what kind of persons others thought we were, but what kind of persons we really were. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by The Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.